Hello and welcome to The Prestige, a podcast about films and filmmaking made by film lovers for film lovers. At the moment we're going through the work of various directors and we take each director at a time for a month at a time and we discuss four of their films and each week look at some of the themes and ideas thrown up by that film. And we end with our recommendations of films based on this week's film. And we always start with what we've been watching this week. So, Rob. This week I have been watching a a film that my wife has been trying to get me to watch for a while. And that is the 2006 film She's the Man. Oh, jeez. Essentially, um, the tail end of the Shakespearean remade teen comedies trend... Uh, this is a remake of Twelfth Night, in which uh, the Amanda Burns plays a character who wants to play football. He isn't allowed to due to the sexism of her current school, and so goes undercover at her brother's school as her brother to play football there. It is as is exactly what you think it'd be, um, but it's predominantly saved by some very good performances. Uh, Amanda Burns is at the height of when she was good, um, and she's got excellent support from from my f- one of my favourite actors. Channing Tatum, who pops up as a love interest for her um, as Duke. It is a, a slice of fluff. It is a slice of fun. It isn't, I think, you know, in the realms of what we're talking about in terms of Valhalla Rising and that kind of movie. But it is. It was. It was a fun, enjoyable evening. And as I'm sure Sam will attest, sometimes when you've got little ones, you had a rough day. You just want something mindless to watch. And so that was. She's the man. What about you, Sam? Um. I've watched something similarly fun, um, a TV series, not a film, um, and it's just lovely, and as you said, you don't want something to think about too much, and it was just gentle and witty, and it's called Love Nina, which was on the BBC a couple of years ago, and it was transferred to Netflix, um, was not re- renewed for some reason, although I suppose you didn't need to, given that it's a true story. It's based on the diaries of a young nanny working in um, a part of London, working with two boys and um, a harassed single mother, played very well by Helena Bonham Carter. And playing against time, she's she's not Helena Bonham Carter, Bellatrix the Strange Helena Bonham Carter. She's actually a, a believable person um, and it, it has Jason Watkins in it as as a writer um, it has good support from um, to a love interest associated with, with this character Nina and Nina herself is played by someone from Game of Thrones but I didn't know that um, it it's just lovely. It's heartwarming, and the last episode is really quite sad, and yet also beautiful. And it made me cry, and that's probably just because I haven't had enough sleep and I have a small child. Yeah, yeah, but, I, I remember uh, <laughs> those days. I remember those days. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, lovely. Yeah, very good. Excellent. 
Well, guys, we are continuing with our Nicholas Winding Refn month. Uh, last week we looked at Pusher, his uh, first debut film. And now we're moving on to a film that's a bit more personal, as it is one of my film credits. And that is his 2009 film, Valhalla Rising. In the beginning, there was man and nature. And on the fringes of the earth, there was a reckoning. Valhalla Rising in many ways defies normal explanation and to sort of give a plot summary is to do the film do the film a disservice. Um, for whatever you feel of the film, its narrative is certainly not what drives it. Um, essentially, Mads Mikkelsen is the main star. He plays a character called One-Eye who is a slave to some Scottish clans um, in which they use him to fight for money and gambling. He is sold on to another tribe from which he escapes and ends up with a, a set of Christian crusaders who are heading off to the Holy Land. Their mission to the Holy Land goes awry and they end up in another land and from there things get decidedly trippy. It is a film, as I said, that I worked on and is one of the films that I'm very proud of my work on it but I appreciate it isn't for everyone. So with trepidation um, but understanding that our friendship will survive whatever he says Sam, what did you think of Valhalla Rising? Sometimes I will um, let Rob know, either through messages or some other way, what I'm, what I think of the film that we are looking at during the week. Um, this time, however, I I thought it would be interesting to keep my assessment until now. Um, it, yeah. I thought this film brilliant, um, and it, 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 it there's a very small part of, part of me that's a bit annoyed about that because I kind of <laughs> wanted it too bad just to. Uh, I believe me, I've made um, some bad films. I can show you the bad films. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was really good, and it was in ha- having. I'm still watching The Punisher, but um, given that I don't want to watch it while my son's awake, it it's taken quite some time to get through it. Um, and there is a fairly brutal denouement involving a fight towards the very end in the penultimate episode of that. And I've just watched that. And this, so this, these opening fight scenes were similarly brutal. And yet not, not over the top, not over them. They seem to be in keeping with the brutality of the environment, the brutality of this life among the clans um and yeah i I really enjoyed it and i like the fact that i don't believe when i actually speaks no he doesn't no 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 no. i did i i sort of about 20 minutes in i thought right that's interesting i'll i'll make sure that i make note of that but i can't guarantee that he didn't speak in the first 20 minutes um yeah, I thought it was very good, and I like the character development. I think we talked talked about it before, but I'm more on the narrative side than the aesthetic side, and yet when the aesthetics are this good, I become less... I care less about the narrative, really. 
Um, and this was there. There was something, something kind of Kurosawa esque, which sounds weird to say because I'm thinking of Kurosawa's black and white films. Um, but the way that you have sort of the, um, the these supernatural visuals that, that explode into one eye's consciousness at various points, and and the sort of the lone walker striding across the the brutal landscape. It was it was very Kurosawa-esque, I thought. Um, but yes, I I very much enjoyed it. Yes. The friendship survives. <laughs> um, give us your um, insiders. Yeah, well, it's, it's a very strange film because um, for me, because if I, those don't know, I worked as a film colorist. So essentially, the look, the colors of the film, the visuals of the film were, were in my domain, and I worked with the director and the cinematographer to get those um, in, after shooting. It was, I wasn't on set for this film; I was, I was off set. So it's it's one of those films where it's quite hard to talk about objectively because this film is so visual and i'm so proud of the visuals we created it's hard to talk about this film in terms of do i like it then there are films that i've worked on which i don't like I, you know I, i've probably mentioned them in the past but for this one i certainly was a fan of where we ended up and i enjoy the sort of the meditative trip that you go on with the film you know, the, the, when we were making it, there was originally a, a big fight scene at the end, in which uh, Madness and One Eye fights the um, fights the uh, Indians, uh, and he cut that, and he cut out two other fight scenes. And um, Nicholas seemed very keen on trying to cut down as much action out of this film as possible, and it leaves you with this really kind of meditative film, this kind of experience rather than a narrative that you watch. Um, and I think. I, I enjoy that. I mean, I, mm. you know, we've often gone about visuals, and I so, say like it's, it's hard to say I like the visuals here without being a bit kind of self-referential and, and blowing my own trumpet. But I, I really do. You know, I mean, I, I worked on obviously the material I was given by the by the DP and the director, so it wasn't all on me. But I am very proud of what we did with this film and the look we gave it. Um, so yeah, it, I, it's one that I, I I don't watch a lot because it's it's. I was talking about this with my wife. It's kind of like going back to your high school. Like you think, oh yeah, I don't remember that well. But then suddenly you're there and you remember every step and every corner, every brick. And it's like that. Like I, I couldn't talk to you too much about the film, but watching it back this week, I'm like, well, I remember that shot. I remember that shot. And I remembered every shot and memories came back about how we got the look we did and that sort of stuff. So it, it is a strange experience trying to review the films that you've made. Hmm. Yeah. I think that... And one one word that you, that's, that's jumped out there. I was trying to think think of a theme for this week, and I was thinking about ideas about being outside society and being different and treated differently in the way that one I. And then it was that word med- meditative that you used. I just I think that that's what this film is about. This film is about the process of meditation, and I really like the fact that I mean I mentioned a couple of the fight scenes from very early on but I really like the fact that not a lot like in the way of violence not a lot happens mm. um, and even just thinking about the the deaths that you see and a couple of the Christians who are who are shot they just sort of the arrows sort of appear in their bodies yes 
um, in a similar way actually to something that I thought was really effective. One one of the things I did find effective about Babel when, when rewatching it was the way that um, the the bus attack is portrayed because the bullets just appear in her and she starts bleeding and it's that sort of thing that suddenly the arrow is there and there's a bleeding man. It's not like a big performance. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think that's where I mean, the, I always thought the violence in this film was very quick and brutal. Mm, um, yeah. and, and I know there was a drive from the filmmakers to kind of to not glamorise the violence, and you know it is but most of the fights happen in dirt and mud, and like no one no one comes out of these fights looking good in that kind of you know cool American blockbuster way. And I think we can see a little bit of a through line from Pusher to that. You know, the idea that the reality of this is it's it's grim and dirty. Um, and people do get, you know, especially back and they get, get killed by one punch, one hit, you know, because it's an axe and axe to the head will take you down. Um, and I think that uh, there's there's some real kind of power to that, and it gives uh, one eye this kind of mythic stance of this sort of violent fighter, um, especially in his early work in, 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 on the uh, in the film. I haven't lost his career in detail, but what? What's when? When sort of was this in Mads Mikkelsen's movie career? Um, it it was pretty early on, I believe. Um, looking at the uh, sort of his quick rundown, he this was back in two thousand nine, and his first film was two thousand six. But he, in terms of sort of UK sort of Western work, shall we say? Um, I'm looking. At, I mean, this was it was after Casino Royale, which was two thousand six. So he had had that big break, um, but it was before it was well before sort of Hannibal came on to be his his big sort of career move. So it's kind of post post fame, at least post renown. Um, but uh, and I think it's interesting. But moving on to a bit more of a sort of a thematic discussion of it, what 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 credence do you put to the theory that he's Odin? Who one eye yep. is Odin? Um. I, I hadn't really thought about it. What, in in what respect? So, so what the, well, the, this is because this is the theory as it stands: is that that he is one-eyed. Right. He has he has these these bright red visions of the future that all come true. Mm. Um, and he you know, there's a lot of talk earlier on about pay, all the god pagan gods leaving the, leaving the land. Yeah. And he he leads these these Christians into hell essentially. Um, and at the end, he whilst you know that obviously in in Norse mythology, the gods are mortal um, and can be killed. Um, and there's a sort of element of of, of the, the Christ-like figure at the end, the sacrifice to save the son or mm. the, the boy. Um, but there's a lot of I mean, the, I, I have a little bit of an inside scoop here on what the director was going for. Mm. But uh, this is a film that does offer different interpretations of what was going on. I'm intrigued to know what yours was. I didn't think that at all. Um, I thought, if anything, this was offering a, I suppose, an alternative view to that provided by the Christians. Um, but I didn't think of him as a, a godlike figure from Norse mythology at all. Um, I thought, if anything, it was just showing how, just showing up how ridiculous in some ways early some early Christian societies were because there is this um, this religion that's that's 
based on love and honor and you just have the people brutally attacking each other mm. um so i just thought he he was he was a comment on that rather than necessarily being an alternative mythology so what what's what what are nick's thoughts on this well N- N- nick was very gleeful in that he didn't want an answer um, and, and he he was gleefully putting in things that he's like well they'll love that in film school um and was very keen that this film became one that was talked about so in his mind he didn't have a a a, uh, a clear answer now he, he did stress that you know in, in the, that the, the new land they find that is america um and he he was he was pulling on you know the the, the idea of of the fact that vikings found america before christopher columbus oh right you see i just i just assumed that was somewhere else in Europe they hadn't gone very far that's what I the, the, the idea was that uh, that uh, he was that they, they had gone from Scotland to America I see right or at that point Canada the North North American continent mm. um, that was very much his intention uh, but he was of the belief that one eye was somehow supernatural uh, with his his um, visions that he had the brighter visions of what was going to come in the future that allowed him to get the sort of arrowhead that made him escape and all that kind of thing, and he foresaw his um, his sacrifice at the end. Um, and th- th- there's the element of which he, he he builds the um, the pile of stones, um, which was a yeah, sort what, of what was that about? Well, th- th- this the the idea he was trying to bring there is that those are used in in Nordic and sort of Scottish rituals about being in balance. Um, and the and the idea was one of the ideas was that uh, one eye is bringing balance. So his sacrifice to save the boy is 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 the balancing moment of his life, of the violence he's caused and created. That he out. but as I say, all of this stuff like he, it, Nick was gleeful, I would say, in not having one answer to these things. Um, and he was well, very much about getting that kind of filming experience and posing questions. It's all about trying to find, you know, like having a question that you left with that the film didn't answer, um, and the film has no interest in trying to answer for you. No, no, and I think that that sort of ties into what the film is about because if this film is about early Christianity and this film is about sort of different attitudes to early religion, it's about people searching around for answers. Hmm. I think I mean there is I think there's certainly a anti-religion streak to the film. Mm. I think that the film at the start you know, it says you know in the beginning they're just man and nature, um, and you feel that the film's kind of go, kind of pointing a finger at organised religion, shall we say, yeah. um, as opposed to I don't know for want of a better word a natural religion mm. that uh, it's a that somehow organising it and bringing in sort of these tenets of the Christian faith. Um, and it's kind of crusade-like nature in the way that the pagans never were. There, there's certainly a, a blaming of that and a, and, a, and a sort of casting aspersions on that. What else can you say about what Nick had planned? Nick was very... I mean, obviously my involvement was more on the visual side of things than anything mm. else. And he, he, his touch point was comic books. He wanted this film to look as comic booky as possible. He wanted incredibly bright... You know, that's why everything's bright red or bright blue. Um, and the the middle sequence, which I, I still think is one of a very disturbing sort of bizarre acid trip sequences in which their becalmed boat sits in the middle of the ocean, um, surrounded by fog. Mm. And that's like the 
that sequence there was um he was very much going for this really kind of ethereal experience this is why if you look at it, it's very very washed out whereas yeah. other but before and after there the, are the, the clear looks we had for the three sections so sort of scotland sea america um but the one in the middle was particularly kind of it was really really sort of not dark just like misty and there's low contrast and you couldn't make out and we actively went for the idea that you couldn't see much and that the film sort of lazily drifted through these sort of uh sort of ghostly figures in the mist um and, and to be to be then balanced by the idea that once you get to hell as it was or america like that's far far crispier image than much contrasting and sharp yes yeah and there was something that's i suppose that that's what drew me away from america and i thought it was somewhere in Europe because there's something quite scandinavian about it mm. it felt very cold and crisp and sharp in a way that I don't know why I didn't associate that with Canada. I will say I believe it was shot in in Scandinavia. Okay. So, irregardless of where it's meant to be, it was shot over that way, um, or up in Scotland. But that was the very much the intention. He was drawing on the I don't want to say myth, but say the rumor and the history of of the Vikings landing in America, and and sort of the the coming up against of these the 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 Nordic viking like life and the sort of the british or the, the celtic pagans and then this more kind of almost nature based native native american um sort of religion but culture uh, that almost appears more magical than anything else in many ways the the comic book link is a really interesting one because that was one that oh, I'm probably going to trample on recommendations here but i I really thought at times this was very like something like Sin City, the yep. way the contrast. It just it just felt very much like that. And then it's really interesting that that's what I mean with Thor. This is what some comic book films are becoming. It's becoming mm. a way to tell mythical stories is through this sharp contrast, through this palette this colour He was very much driven by um, uh, so that kind of like primary palette. Uh, yeah, he wanted he wanted it to be visually punchy. I mean, we we we, we work on a like a, a twenty foot cinema screen, um, and the idea was, especially when you have the, the, those bright red visions of um, of one eyes, like they they almost like a punch to the face. You're going from very kind of earthy tones to this bright red shot of water or in the sky and that sort of stuff so there was very much that kind of feeling of wanting to evoke the visuals uh, that are so evident in comic books I did really think at times I'm sorry I didn't see this on my screen because I'm watching this on a laptop and it's just not good enough yeah it is one of those films that I would recommend seeing on a big screen if you can because it is a as it's so visual it's worth seeing in that respect mm. yeah. um, so Sam do you have some recommendations for us? I do. Um, and one of them is actor-based. Uh, it comes from a guy who was one of the lead Vikings. I think it was the chieftain, um, Ewan Stewart, who was in a, a film a couple of years ago that was surprisingly good. I wasn't expecting it to be, but it was just very enjoyable. It was a, a good day out. It was Florence Foster Jenkins. Okay. Um, and the other film 
recommendation that I have is more of a thematic connection. I've already talked about the links between this film and something very visual like Sin City. Um, and my connection here is, is also a visual one. It seems strange to say for a film so reliant on colour as for how rising is, but I thought of the the black and white horror Psycho. I thought there was something very sharp and vibrant about the cuts in this film that made me think of lots of, not just Psycho, lots of other classic black and white horror films like it, but Psycho is my touchstone for this week. Fair enough. I mean, one film that we did talk about whilst we were making the film uh, was the film Metropolis. Mm. Um, which has once again the kind of punctual visual, once again black and white. But yeah. that was a film that we discussed and, and talked about the visuals of whilst we were we, we were producing this film. Certainly. All right. So I've got two recommendations, um, and I haven't gone visual because I felt that it was kind of that was too too much play into my own my own corner. Um, so my first recommendation is a TV show, oddly from last year, and that's the TV show American Gods. American Gods probably very different in its tone and its look but it does have a say a section that deals with the idea of, of vikings coming to america and bringing their gods with them um and it has uh the main character um one of the characters is is odin himself so it has some thematic links to the film um i just i love the book and i love the tv show and i think i'm just gonna sort of shout it from the rooftops where i can my other recommendation is, like you, I've I've taken one of the, the Christian Vikings and the Christians and sort of put on that route, and that's an actor called Gary Lewis. Um, he's a Scottish actor. Um, he would been in lots of things. Um, he's sort of the guy you'd recognise in various sort of things. Like, oh, that guy. Um, and he was in a film that I really, really, really love, and hasn't. I don't feel got the recognition it deserves and it's kind of been forgotten from a lot of the actors who made it their their, their film hoggeries uh, and even the director and that's the 2002 film Gangs of New York uh, Michael Stacey film starring Leo Cameron Diaz and David Lewis in many ways it's a, a, a sort of a, a great cast and I really really enjoy it I like the visuals of it I like the story it's long I grant you um, but it feels like it's kind of been forgotten from today's film narrative so that is my recommendation for this week Gangs of New York from 2002 Right, so Rob, next week, where are we going? Next week we are leaping forward to, in many ways, uh, Nicholas Wynne-Reffin's breakout movie. His, his, uh, the one that could push him into the big leagues. And that is his film from two years later, Drive, starring Ryan Gosling. Well, we will be watching this again, but we'll tell everyone that I've never been sure about this film. And yet Rob has a poster of it in his house. I have a poster of it in my bedroom. Till then, guys, you can find both of us on Twitter at Pretty Podcast. You can find me at Life underscore Academic. And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you back here next week. Mm-hmm.